Just want to say before this episode starts, I am sorry about the audio quality. It's all my fault. I upgraded my computer and I had the wrong mic selected as we recorded this episode. Halfway through, it gets better. But if you can get to that point, you'll be home free. So sorry about that. But I hope you keep listening. Before the rings of power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master, Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Welcome to Window on the West, where we explore all the ages of Tolkien's Middle-earth. With your hosts, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Hey, thanks for joining us again this week as we read through the Silmarillion. This week, we're going to be reading through two chapters uh, of Thingol and Melian, and, let me get it right, of Eldamar and the Princes of the Eldalier, which is another one of those hard words that's... That's there. It's short, but it's still hard. Uh, and my name is Jonathan Watson. I'm here from thewondering.com, where you can find a bunch of Tolkien stuff and the complete list of film changes that we still keep up after many years of finding things wrong with Peter Jackson's <laughs> Peter Jackson's movies. But hey, that's who, that's who I am. That's who we are. So still holding on after all these years. And I'm here along with my co-hosts. I'm Dan Coates. I'm reading The Silmarillion for the first time, and I'm very, very confused. I'm Michael Grumbine. I'm reading The Silmarillion for the sixth time, and I'm not very confused. Well, I'm reading it for the, like, the third to fourth time, third time. I don't know. It depends on if you count listening to it, but I'm still semi-confused. So I'm in between running the gamut on all the confusion of Tolkien's world. Um, <laughs> So before we jump into it, uh, we like to get back into our uh, <clears throat> fun little game. At least we think it's fun. We'll let you decide. All that is gold does not glitter. And Michael, Michael, you have some uh, some quotes for us today. So the goal of this is for us to find the Tolkien quote amidst other important quotes, theoretically, from, from other really smart people, smarter than me, at least. Um, so, Michael, take it away. Right. So the theme this week is words. So here's four quotes from different authors, uh, one of whom and only one of whom is Tolkien. So the idea is, let's see if we if uh, if Dan and Jonathan can uh, can guess which one. So quote number one, broadly speaking, short words are best and the old words, when short, are best of all. I should have said, actually, before I read. I'm not going to get this. I can already tell you I'm not going to get this. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something else. I'm going to pick I'm going to pick a Chesterton quote again. <laughs> That's, that is Dan's superpower. He picks all the Chesterton quotes. <laughs> and then I will tell you that one of these quotes, I'm hoping that one of you guesses is Tolkien because it's so not Tolkien that it's that I'm going to have some fun explaining who it is. But, that's a, that's but thing, so, so. I, I should have said, you know, I picked this theme because Tolkien as a philologist was a deep lover of words. So I figured a theme of words um, would be appropriate. So quote number two, what is the good of words if they aren't important enough to quarrel over? Quote number three, who cannot understand your silence, cannot understand your words. And quote number four. When I use a word, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. So one more time, number mm. for, for our audience yeah. so that when people listen to it, they can sort of guess on their own, see if they're right. Quote number one, broadly speaking, short words are best, and the old words, when short, are best of all. Quote number two, 
What is the good of words if they aren't important enough to quarrel over? Quote number three, who cannot understand your silence cannot understand your words. And quote number four, when I use a word, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. All right. Who wants to go first? Wow. What? Okay. Well, I, I, I would be inclined to pick number one, but then I just read this chapter and there's lots of long words in it. So I don't <laughs> think that's, I don't think that's the one. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pick number three. I just, just random number three. So who cannot understand your <laughs> silence, cannot understand your words. That's, that's my pick. All right. Yep. I feel like, so number four, I feel like, is that a quote from the Lord of the Rings? Is that what something Gandalf says? It certainly sounds like something from the Lord of the Rings, but I, I could be wrong. Um, and uh, I have been every time so far in this, in this, uh, in this dang game. Okay. So I think if I had to pick, um, just seeing as Tolkien's a philologist and words are important. I like number two, what is the good of words if they aren't enough, aren't important enough to quarrel over. But it, it could be anybody. I mean, that could be that could be Lewis. Right. I feel like the first one is sounds more Chestertonian than Tolkien. Tolkien. Okay. So. Uh, so I'll go number two. Jonathan has taken Which is, over what is Dan's superpower, and he has chosen the Chesterton quote. No. <laughs> so Jonathan, you chose number two. Okay, what is the good of words? Amazing. If they aren't important enough to quarrel over, that is a yeah. Chesterton quote. Um. Oh, oops. See, again, I did. I'm reading a Chesterton book on the side here, and that's the problem. Excellent. Uh, Keep reading those books. Yeah. Makes my job makes my job easier. <laughs> all right. The first quote, broadly speaking, short words are the best, and the old words when shorter, best of all. That is Churchill, Winston Churchill. And oh, wow. uh, Dan is okay. correct. The third quote is Tolkien. No way. Sway. Wow. wow. So, that doesn't you sound know, like that's why I chose it because it doesn't sound like he's talking about words and it doesn't sound like what him. is that from? So I had a 33% chance <laughs> of picking the right one. So and the last one, which I really oh, hope one of you would guess, is from Humpty Dumpty, Allison Lewis Carroll. <laughs> that's a that's a Humpty Dumpty line uh, from Lewis Carroll. Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. So right. You, you both dodged the Humpty Dumpty quote, so that was good. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Well, good job, Michael. Thanks for screwing me again. I'll get <laughs> well, have you gotten right, right yet, day, Jonathan? Says the guy who's running. I don't, I don't think so. Oh, so, sad. I'm just the guy who's running a Tolkien site for 20 plus years. <laughs> well, I have to admit that I. You're um, the one who's always posting his quotes. I do have to yeah, avoid well, all yeah. the quotes but that you I, post. It's not like I committed to memory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, you can follow uh, at Torc T O R C on Twitter, and we, we, we tweet a, a nice little uh, Tolkien quote there or you Tolkien go. related quote every day. Uh, and it's not like I do it every day. I mean, I've set it up so I, I like I don't have to think about it, and it happens automatically. But I have mm. picked them all out over the years as a, a whole list of quotes that I've got. I know you uh, have a lot of quotes because the other day you had a glitch, and they were all posting about a minute apart. Well, I was, and my, I looked down at my phone and I had like 47 notifications. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I was updating the website and it happened when I imported a bunch of stuff. It, it happened yeah. to everything in the world. Anyway. All right. So let's get into um, Upthingal and Melian, which is, is uh, it, it, it's kind of a weird place because it, it almost seems a little bit out of place when it comes to um, where we are in, in how uh, the Balquanta is written or how it was put together, or sorry, Quintus Silmarillion. Um, and 
it, but it's really short. So um, we like to start with Dan's Big Thought. Which is interesting here, his big thought, because it's really short. So what's your big thought on a really short chapter? My big thought on this chapter is love makes you do very stupid things. <laughs> and it's just very interesting to me that Elway, he goes off and he's hanging out in the forest. He's heading out to, to go see Finway, right? Uh, if I'm keeping yeah. up with the names, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. That you're actually I'm doing, I'm doing so good so far, I think. And then he, he runs into Melian. And I think Tolkien even says he forgot all of his purpose. He forgot everything that he was thinking, everything he was doing. And then, and then he just sits in a trance for like a million years, right? Like he's just there forever. So I, I, I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, the, the line is, uh, Then an enchantment fell on him, and he stood still, and afar, off, beyond the voices of the Lomalindi, he heard the voice of Melian, and it filled all his heart with wonder and desire. He forgot utterly all his people and all the purposes of his mind, and following the birds on the shadow of the trees, he passed deep into Nan Elmo and was lost. He's this like the me. he's like the leader of their whole tribe, and he just he just forgets them completely. Yep. <laughs> well, and we're given a little background to why, yeah. right? So Melian is supposed to be we, the first paragraph of the of the chapter itself tells us about Melian, and it tells us that she dwelt in the gardens of Loria. And this is for those of us who've just read Lord of the Rings. This is not Lorien in Middle Earth. This is Lorien in the Blessed Land of Amun, and. Um, it said that she was none were more beautiful than Melian, nor more wise, nor more skilled in songs of enchantment. So she's already being given credit for being skilled in songs of enchantment beyond everyone. And that we're told that even the Valor would stop what they were doing when she would um, when she would uh, come singing in the forest and and come listen to to her. So so you know. For all of all the people to lose a few hundred years standing in a trance over, this is probably the best one. Mm -hmm. But it is interesting. Okay, so yeah, he he probably has a good reason, but he's still the leader of their people, and he just totally like abandons it's them. It's enchantment, so man. I don't know. How, what are you gonna do? Like it's an, yeah, yeah. It's it's very romantic. I get it. But... <laughs> Yeah. All right. So we'll call this I, I always, the subtitle I was, of this episode will be Dan, Enemy of Romance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. The, the romance essentially, uh, I, I don't know how long do, do we ever, I'm not sure if you can figure out how long he stood there, but the trees of Nan Elmoth grew tall and dark before they spoke any word. I mean, he was there for years. So the enchantment wasn't just, uh, uh, we sat here and the, the, the moonlight was pretty. And we looked into each other's eyes and we got up and left. No, they were there for years and got older. And eventually uh, they came back. What's the line when he says, uh, okay, so so the line is in the next chapter. I guess we can come to it then. But uh, perhaps this rivals the whole elves walking on snow, which is completely unbelievable. <laughs> which if you can go back to one of the episodes of the Battle on Beers, Lord of Rings, where we had a whole... Uh, we had an entire episode of lengthy discussion about whether it was proper to have elves walking on snow, the way it's depicted. This seems like, I mean, I understand that Melian, right? I mean, Melian is supernatural in that way. And so the spell or the power that she lent on him, which as we get into the full tale of Thingol and Melian down the road, like the, there's the girdle of Melian and uh, the power that she 
exudes or that she lends to the land in order to keep them safe is a is is part of the grand tale of the Silmarillion. Um, but here, I just uh, I I don't think I ever took the time to read it like we did this week, where I realized, man, that was, that was I mean, they could have been there a hundred years. Who knows? Well, and the, the because or a hundred years. There, I think you're right, and I think I think that the the text actually gives us some clue that they were there quite a long time because of what happens between um, them. They're always people looking for him, Thingol's people looking for him. And, uh, you know, the fate of his Sindar are actually tied into the fact that he's standing there for so long, so much, so many years. Um, two full trips of the moving island, as it turns out. So there, That's a good there's point. a... Um, and with take? a lot of time in between the two trips of the movie in Ireland, in which Olmo is trying to convince the rest of the Valar to let the elves stay in Middle-earth that are left. And then he gets overridden and he goes back for the trip number two. And all that time, Thingol is still, still sitting there in under enchantment. So probably many, many years. Hmm. Yeah. This is a weird chapter. And this is another thing that happens where once a decision is made or an event happens, he gets a different name. Correct. So Tolkien's real big on every, everything that happens needs a new name. <laughs> names, names are a big deal to Tolkien. So I found the passage that you were looking for, Jonathan, in the next chapter of what, what, when they find him. But when Elway awoke from his long trance, he Thank came you. forth from Nan, El, <clears throat> Nan Elmoth with Melian, and they dwelt thereafter in the woods in the midst of the land. Greatly though he had desired to see again the light of the trees, in the face of Melian he beheld the light of Amun as in an unclouded mirror, and in that light he was content. His people gathered about him in joy, and they were amazed, for fair and noble as he had been, now he appeared as it were a lord of the Maiar, his hair as gray silver, tallest of all the children of Iluvatar, and a high doom was before him. So physical changes as well as... And not just, I don't think the silver gray hair is him getting old because of all the years. I, I, um, he's, he's now fair. He's now tall. You know, that seems, you know, a, a probably exaggerated effect similar to what we, what we see in the Lord of the Rings with, with uh, Pippin and Mary. They, they actually grow taller under the enchantment of the waters of Fangorn. And, and so here we have an enchantment which appears to, uh, to make um, a Lord of the Elves even taller. So among other things. Yeah. Certainly, perhaps, that the harkens to the line in uh, this chapter where, where uh, Tolkien wrote, great power Melian lent to Thingol, who was himself great among the elbow. So in, in the power that she has, perhaps, you know, the, the her, what, what was the line that was, it was, uh, he beheld the light of Amun as, there was no one more, but you know, the, the line is, uh, there were none more beautiful than Melian, nor more wise, nor more skilled in songs of enchantment. So beauty, wisdom, uh, and songs of enchantment. Yeah. It's high. yeah. But in a sense, right, she had to fall under the enchantment of Thingol as well, because she stood there, she spoke no word, and uh, being filled with the love, Elway, oh, wait, no, 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 sorry, let me retract that, but she... So she spoke no word and was under an enchantment in a sense as well. Right, which is interesting. He never goes into the reason why she's but, smitten with him. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 
So let's move on to the second chapter that we're going over today of Eldamar and the Princes of the Eldaliae, which gives us the joyful opportunity to hear another one of Dad's Big Thoughts. My big thought on this chapter is what the heck is going on? There's so many names. I, I kind of got like the big, you know, the, the big sweeping narrative of like they all hop on this moving island and they're going to Valinor and then he comes back and picks up the other guys that got left behind and they, they start going and then they anchor it halfway or pretty close to all the way and they don't go all the way. And, but then it starts getting into like the genealogies and all the names and so-and-so is the sister of so-and-so. And then you, there's like, you know, all these brothers and all these sisters there's Galadriel somewhere in there. It get it gets it gets crazy fast. That's my big thought. Yeah, this this chapter feels like like sort of like the book of numbers from the Bible. Lots of people, lots of names, mm. genealogies, so much to get through that it is you know, we started off this episode with talking about how confusing the Silmarillion is and reading this chapter left me really confused the first time. Almost like I didn't I didn't care about it. Um, and it only gets more interesting, yeah. I think, the second, third time you read through this chapter because you start having an idea of who the characters are rather than uh, trying to figure out who all the names are and just even to pronounce them at this time. So, yeah, the confusion is real in this chapter. Yep, I agree. Um, and I, so I think we should first lay out, or second or third, lay out the the order of what happens in this chapter versus the before it gets to the part that Dan gets all confused by and everyone does. And I did too, when I read it for the first time. So not just you, Dan, it is a lot of names. It's kind of like the book of numbers. All right. It's, it's, you're, you're just going along there and all of a sudden all these people, and you're not sure what the importance of many of them are. Um, but as far as events go, what we have happened first is the elves arrive at the shore of middle earth and Olmo comes to them. And at first they're actually frightened of the ocean. So that's not their first reaction is not the longing for the ocean. They're actually frightened. And then it says, but it says, now Olmo, by the council of valor, came to the shores of Middle-earth and spoke with the elder who waited there, gazing in the dark waves. And because of his words and the music which he made for them on his horns of shell, their fear of the sea was turned rather to desire. So they have fear first, and then it becomes desire with his words and the music of his horns of, of shell. So that's, that's kind of cool because, again, we have the music theme reiterated, right? So then he uproots an island, brings it over, yeah. and two of the peoples, the Noldor and Vanyar, get on the island and travel back to Valinor. And it says they're welcomed into Valinor, so it means they're over the Polori Mountains and they're, they're actually seeing the Blessed Lands at that point. Um, one of the funny things when I was reading this, rereading this for the current time with my daughters was we were laughing about how it made a point of saying that the island that Omo uproots when he brings it into the bay so the elves can get on and then it leaves the bay a piece of it gets stuck in the bay um because it was it was basically jammed too deep into the into the the shallow waters so it becomes this permanent island that was broke off and what we were laughing about was Okay, so when they get on, when the Noldor and the Vanyar get on the island, they don't know a piece of it's going to get broken off. So did some of them just get left behind when the island broke off and they headed out? So, you know, small logistical issues that Tolkien never... They just, they, they, they just backed it up again. <laughs> had their own file back right. on. I guess they could just back it up again, yep. <laughs> but that island becomes a mainstay of Ase, who's the Maiar, uh, the wild Maiar of the oceans that... Um, 
ends up befriending the elves and teaching them about shipbuilding and stuff. But anyway, so off now. So now we've got two peoples of the elves over in Valinor, and then there's a long period of time that passes. It says, I think, many years. When many years had passed, Olmo hearkened to the prayers of the Noldor and of Finwy, their king, who grieved at their long sundering from the Teleri, and besought him to bring him to Amun if they would come. So finally he agrees to, and he, the island comes back for trip number two, but only some of the Teleri get on the boat slash island, because the rest of them are looking for their king, Thingol. And, uh, and they're very sad about the fact that the island leaves without them for the second time. So, and then, and then Thingol shows up and with Melian and his people. And so you have the elves on one side of the sea and the elves on the other side of the sea, essentially. What's funny also is that in that moment, we have our first, I think it's our first um, mention of Cured in the Shipwright, who is a character still alive at the time of the Lord of the Rings. So guy, he's thousands and thousands of years I old, noticed that as one. it turns out. And Ase convinces him and his people, so I have to, to stay on the shores of Middle-earth, and um, they do not get on the island even the second time. And uh, they were called the Philothrim. Um, the the Philothrim. So I have to, I, I think we might have an image from the last podcast we were doing, which has the different peoples of the elves. So I have to make an, an, an edit to it to add the Philothrim. And so we'll get an updated image of those, the various peoples of the elves <laughs> split into three groups and where they all ended up. But uh, anyway, so Kierden never sees the light of the two trees. Apparently, he's uh, he's back on Middle Earth side, mm. um, and and never goes. But now, now when uh, when Ase is trying to get the Teleri to stay, uh, I think you mentioned that is he doing that just purely for his own selfish reasons, or is he does he think that the elves have some role to play in Middle Earth? You know, it doesn't say right. Like in terms of like grander purposes, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't say. Oh, maybe it does. Hold on. The, 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 the part that I did read, it made it sound like he just was going to miss their singing so much that he just he just convinced him to stay. But I'm like, that's kind of mean. Like, just let him go see the trees, man. That's, no, that's right. <laughs> and, but that, that fits Ase, right? Ase was the one that uh, Melkor almost convinced to come to the dark side um, back in the beginning. And he was... Oh, that's and, right. And he's wild and dangerous. And he's, he's, he, he seems like the, the sort of Maiar that's very... Um, tempestuous he's independent yeah yep. independent-minded so, so, but tempestuous. yes yep and to support what you were saying dan it says and he would this is the ase now and he was ill pleased that the voices of the teleri should be heard no more in his domain some he persuaded to remain and those were the philothrim the elves of the phallus who in the after days had dwellings in the havens of brithombar and el sorry eglarest the first mariners in Middle Earth and the first makers of ships. Cured in the shipwright was their lord. So, so um, first shipmakers, and uh, and then after convincing Cured and the Philothrim to stay, the island takes off for the second time, and immediately Ossai goes with the island, which I also thought was hilarious. Like, it's like stay here, guys. So the island goes across for the. He's got he's got the he's got the <laughs> box and he's not letting him. Yeah, the foot the footloose theme yeah. starts playing. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so the second time the island travels back, though, it doesn't go all the way. It stops very close to Valinor, but with a small sea still between, and uh, and that's where the it becomes Tol Erisea, the Lonely Isle, 
and uh, and and the Teleri who made the voyage for the second trip are uh, stay on that. And that leads us to what you were saying, Jonathan, about how then so the Valar made a gap in the mountains, the Pelori Mountains, so that so that the light of the two trees could shine on that island, even though it was out in the ocean. And and so one side of the island becomes green and beautiful um, from the light of the trees. And then the elves then build, uh, they make a hill, actually. I was re- rereading that. It, it, the hill, Tuna, didn't exist. The elves made made it. Right. And then they built a city on it, Tyrion. And, and we get the second mention of Ingwe, the, the high king of all the elves and the lord of the Vanyar. The least mentioned elven peoples of all. They they do resist Morgoth and, or Melkor's um, temptations quite a bit, quite effectively. But yes, they like to stay where they are. And another quote that stood out to me in this chapter is actually the last sentence of the whole chapter. That's this. Uh, For all living things that are or have been in the kingdom of Arda, save only the fell and evil creatures of Melkor, lived then in the land of Amon. And there also were many other creatures that have not been seen upon Middle-earth, and perhaps never now shall be since the fashion of the world was changed. Uh, Weird sentence, because to me, if I read this right, it's saying that all living things lived in Amon. For all living things that are or have been in the kingdom of Arda lived then in the land of Amon. And that there are many creatures that live in Amon that never made it over to Middle-earth either, so that you have creatures, you know, dinosaurs, (laughs) I don't know, uh, that never actually appeared in Middle-earth at all anywhere. So I read that passage a little differently than you did, Jonathan. What I thought it was referring to was um, how how Kelligorm, who's one of the sons of Fionor, one of the seven sons of Fionor, how he got the great knowledge of birds and beasts. And it's trying to explain that he knows all the languages of birds and beasts, even the ones in Middle Earth, because some of those because all the creatures that were living in Middle Earth also lived in Amon. That's the way I read it, except for the fell creatures of, of Morgoth. And so, so, so you have a, in the Venn diagram of animals of Amon and, Am, and animals of Middle Earth, you have large overlap in the middle of the Venn diagram, which is the, the, anim, the regular animals of Middle Earth, which are also in Amon. But then you have a, a piece of the Venn diagram, which is only in Amon, which is the, the things that have never been seen before that you mentioned. And then there's a piece of, of creatures that are only in Middle-earth, which are the Morgoth's um, beasts. So that's the way I read it. I don't know if that's right. Oh, uh, okay. So I see what you're saying. So for all living things that are or have been in the kingdom of Arda, save only the fell and evil creatures, lived then in the land of Amon. So they were all there, but somewhere in Middle-earth, but everything possible was there. <laughs> I can see that. Um, I mean, I guess I could see how I read it that way, but I think that that would make more sense to me now too. Yeah. It, I, I think it could be read both ways. That is interesting. And when I was reading it with my daughters, we were also kind of chuckling over the fact that, so there were never any flowers before. So how did the trees become go from seeds to flowers in Nan Elmoth? So how do they go from tr- uh, seeds to full trees? I mean, and, and so, you know, technically, I don't think he's making a botanical statement that there were no flowers. I think he's referring to the fact that you, you, there, you know, because technically you, the flower is there for the, for the procreation of plant life um, 
but but I, I I do think I do think he would say that there was no sort of sort of, that maybe maybe the transition from seed into tree would have been something different from what we have now, which would involve something beautiful like the flowers. It is interesting to me. It's it's just now hitting me in this chapter the stark difference between Valinor and Middle Earth, that the elves have no idea what it is. Like daylight doesn't make any sense to them. Like all they know is the stars. It's very interesting. And that, that that's why that becomes such a primal thing for the elves. They're always hearkening back to the starlight. That's right. Right. There were there were the stars yeah. and then there were Varda's stars, right? So that we had the stars from their initial creation. But then Varda goes and does her great work and makes all this whole net of beautiful, much brighter stars in preparation for the elves. And that's what they experience when they awaken Quivian and yeah, and, and speaking of the elves wakening up at Quivienen, uh, so Tolkien loved his languages, and he loved he loved splitting up the elves. I mean, they went from one people group in one location to, what, 10 or 11 different names, um, and uh, that's confusing, like we talked about. And so we get this chapter that breezes so quickly over so many details of uh, the elves' names and their relationships and the historical events. <laughs> That reading through it it's feels like, uh, like it's part of the bigger story, but that bigger story doesn't work right now because I don't know enough. I have to come back to it because I don't see that bigger picture. So it feels kind of pointless or, or at least unnecessary because it doesn't feel like it's leading to anything because we don't know yet that it is because we haven't seen the bigger story. It's like reading the Bible. I think you have to have like a, a common thread or a, a chain of people, an understanding of why this chain is important. And I, I just don't have that yet. I know like in the Bible, I can look and say, oh, Jesus. And then that's why the, the covenant with Abraham is important and Isaac and Jacob. And then all of those long lines of sons, it's, it starts to make sense because it's all coming to a point. So I'm going to ask you guys, does it come to a point or is it just a long list of names? Well, yeah, it, it comes to a point. You've you've kind of read the end point, right, at the end of uh, The Lord of the Rings. But a lot of these names, he's telling you now, right, there is not a whole lot that they do in the story. But for some of these names, there's a lot that they do. So it comes to a point for some of them, but not all of them, I guess. I, I look at it two ways. One is that, just as Jonathan said, there's a number of names here that become very important. Do they all come to a single point in the, the way salvation history does? Nope. They do not. It does not come. It does not work that direction. But okay. it does work in reverse, kind of, because they all. It's all about Fionor in a, in a sense, and and what flows from him, um, most of which is not that great. But uh, but there's a but but the the various princes. Um, we're going to revisit most of them in, in in excruciating detail as time goes on, and um, you know the maybe the the easiest way to encapsulate the whole thing is to think of it this way. This is all about the Noldor. So it's Finway as the top, top of the pyramid. He's the king of the Noldor. Finway's got three, three sons by two wives and 15 grandchildren. And that's all you got to remember. He's got two wives who gave him three sons who gave him 15 grandchildren. So Finway, Finway has the, the, his first wife who's the mother of Fionor and his second wife who's the mother of of both um, Fingolfin and Finarfin. And the one thing that this chapter does is it 
it shows us that, you know, elves aren't of one type. I think you can come away from Peter Jackson's films and think that uh, all the elves look the same, they kind of act the same, they're ethereal, etc., etc. I mean, even Legolas has that sort of, he's, he's Sindarin, but he's he's similar in very many ways to Gladriel, who's not. So, so it, is, it is giving some texture to not el- all, not all elves are just the same. It's not just one. You have you have all these different tribes. You have all you have ones that came over and saw the light, ones that never came over, ones that saw the light and then came back to Middle Earth, and then you also have like the that island that's sitting out there that didn't quite make it to Valinor, and so you have a sundering of of their languages there. So th- there's all these different types of elves that they're not all they're not all the same. They're not all interchangeable. And, and you are getting uh, the, these genealogies. I can see how, if I keep reading, maybe those will make more sense. <laughs> yeah, but despite all the names, I think the one that you should remember most and think of the most is is Feanor, because everything he does cascades down into the destruction and despair that we'll see in the rest of the Silmarillion. Yeah. So maybe put a bookmark on this page 60, and then as I go forward, I can flip back. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, what's interesting, too, is we find out that he's only called it twice, I think, but Fionor's first name is not Fionor. His, he was originally named Kuru Finway, um, but his mother named him Fionor. Makes it even more confusing because it's both a C name and an F name. So as we close out this chapter, I just wanted to bring up the second to the last paragraph of the chapter, which talks about the Vanyar and how uh, the Vanyar, uh, you know, uh, they they lived with the other elves and uh, then they moved on. Like they they just decided to stick around to Nequitil. Yeah, and, it's, uh, uh, they abode thereafter at the feet of Manway. So this is kind of almost the last we hear of them, right? Well, it is interesting that the Vanyar after living with the with the um, other elves for a while, they go back into Valinor. So they stop living in the city of Tyrion on the hill of Tuna, which is within sight of the island, the lonely isle of Tol Erisea. So all of the other elves that came across on the island trips are in one region, but the Vanyar then leave and go back into the interior of Valinor, of Amun. And... Uh, and, and are little heard from again. Most of our tale in this book is about the Noldor. Yeah, and that's where the the chapter leaves off, right? With uh, Feanor and his sons seldom abode in one place for too long. So you kind of get the you get the picture that you know some of the elves are content; they're going to stay there, and other elves seem like they still they still have something to do. They're still they're still looking for something. Yeah. And uh, that's a good place to end, right? The, the elves have something to do. And in fact, uh, something to make, maybe, with or the title of the book, The Silmarillion. Um, but thanks for the conversation, guys. Uh, next week, we're going to be moving into Chapter 6 of the uh, of Feanor and the Unchaining of Melkor. This week, we don't have an If You Like Tolkien. I'm sorry about that. Uh, we'll have one next week again. So thanks for listening. I just want to remind you that uh, you can follow us on Twitter using the username Torque, T-O-R-C. You can find us on YouTube if you go to thewondering.com slash YouTube. Uh, And we have a lot of videos there where we're talking about the Rings of Power uh, and other thoughts and uh, things that are coming up in the world of Tolkien and and Middle-earth. 
so join us there and subscribe there, subscribe here, give us a review. We'd really love that. We want to let other fans know that there are uh, Tolkien podcasts like ours that uh, are just looking to dive into what he wrote, what his motivations were, why it's important to go back to the actual words and not to inject our own sensibilities into what Tolkien wrote. So uh, give us a like, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe in your podcast app, and we'd love that. But we'll see you next week, Chapter 6 of Feanor and the Unchaining of Melkor. Bye now. See you now. Michael, Dan, and Jonathan want to thank you, the listener, for joining us. Visit us at theonering.com, your source for everything Tolkien, where you can comment on this episode and join the conversation. This is Austin Robertson bidding you farewell. May the wind under your wings bear you where the sun sails and the moon walks.